Welcome to the 75th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. It's common knowledge that the food being fed our kids in school cafeterias is a pretty sad affair. High in fat, sugar, and an endless list of unpronounceable ingredients, school meals are not only bad nutrition, but also bad for local farm economies. That's because most of them are sourced through an industrialized food chain that relies on transporting produce, meat, and dairy items hundreds or even thousands of miles. But change is afoot in some of our nation's lunchrooms. Parents are teaming up with school administrators, nutritionists, farmers, and so-called rebel lunch ladies to try and get healthy, locally produced food into cafeterias. In fact, the National Farm to School Network estimates that over 2,000 farm-to-school initiatives are in the U.S. today. Most of these efforts are in their early stages and are getting off the ground with modest steps like providing local apples or carrots for snacks. But it's a start, and as more of these farm-to-school efforts become a reality around the country, good models for feeding school kids local, healthy food are being created. These pioneering efforts are proving that putting local, healthy food in cafeterias can be affordable while producing benefits that show up in the local economy as well as in the classroom. At the recent annual meeting of the Sustainable Farming Association of Minnesota, there was a very interesting session on farm-to-school initiatives. In the first of a two-part podcast, we will hear from Joanne Birkenkamp, Program Director for Local Foods at the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. During the SFA conference, she provided farmers and others a checklist of things to keep in mind when considering providing food to a local school. In the next podcast, we will hear from a farmer who is actually providing produce to a local school district. We know for a lot of our kids, particularly in lower-income communities, school food may be their best chance at a square meal. And when you look at kids who may be having school breakfast, school lunch, snack program, five days a week, you know, 200 days a year, they may be getting the bulk of their nutrition in a school environment. So the food that happens in school really matters to childhood development and nutrition. One in three kids that were born in the year 2000 will become diabetic. I mean, the number is just staggering, and a lot of that has to do with nutrition. So Farm to School is a statewide movement, or a a nationwide movement. It's happening in at least 45 states across the country. It got started probably 10 years ago or thereabouts, mostly in California, where they have a very long growing season, but it really has spread all all over the country at this point. And there's a lot going on in Minnesota. Um, And most of this has evolved just in the last, say, even two years, the bulk of it. So um, the group I work for, ITP, um, is working on a number of fronts. One of the things that we do is that we partner with the Minnesota School Nutrition Association. It's the association of the 2,800 lunch ladies. So I've spent a lot of time in the last year and a half hanging around with lunch ladies uh, and trying to understand the world that they live in, right? Because if farm to school is going to happen, we need to get them to the place that they will say yes to your product. And for many of them, you know, until fairly recently, they were unfamiliar with seasonality. They didn't know how to handle farm products. They didn't know how to interact with farmers. Farmers would call them, and I think sometimes people got kind of a mixed reception because the lunch ladies just didn't know how to respond. So we've put a lot of energy into working with the school food service uh, professionals to help them feel much more comfortable with this whole concept. So here's my top ten list. Things to know about farm to school and working with school districts and schools. Okay, number one, budget. So schools typically have about $1.15 or so, give or take a little, to spend on the food that's actually in the school lunch. 
Of that, they would probably have 12 to 15 cents for a serving of, of fruit, another 12 to 15 cents to spend on a serving of vegetables. So that's kind of the range that they're looking at. It isn't impossible to do this, but it's something you need to be conscious of because that's the math that they're going to be doing in their head when they think about um, the price that you're offering and how they weave that into their budgets. So they're, I mean, they're living under some pretty intense budgetary challenges. Folks often start with apples. We asked the districts that were doing, or in the survey, um, what foods they were actually using. And of the districts that were doing farm to school, I think 97% were doing apples, local apples. So it's a great starting point. And it works in a school environment pretty easily because it's a food that people think of as local. We've got an abundant supply. The, um, often um, orchards want to sell the smaller, like 125 count that the retailers don't take. Right? And so they are looking for a market for the smaller sizes, which corresponds well to the portion sizes that are needed in schools. The product is less perishable and so on. So apples are a great starting point. Then folks typically move to additional kinds of produce and then later on into other sorts of proteins and other things. So number three, if you're interested in approaching a school, start early. So what they generally do is in sort of February, March, April, they're going to be planning for August, September, so that when they come back right after Labor Day and school starts, they're ready. So if you call them in July, the staff may not even be working over the summer. So get to them early and help them plan what they're going to do in terms of farm to school. Um, and typically the person to reach is the school food service director or manager. They're the folks who have the decision-making authority. And they might direct you to somebody that handles the procurement. But if you can start at that director level, it might kind of help you get to the people who can actually make decisions. Schools are not all alike. So it's, as I've learned more about farm to school, I've been very interested to see how much, how heterogeneous schools are one to the next. So for instance, some actually have the capacity to cook from scratch. You know, like the St. Paul district can actually produce lasagna. You know, they bake bread, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of loaves from scratch. There are smaller rural districts that can do that as well. There are other districts where they don't have any staff who are trained to use knives. <laughs> what it means is you just need to talk to them, find out what their reality is, um, and see what you can work with. So if you've got a district, for instance, with staff that don't have knife skills, they may not be able to handle a whole case of tomatoes, but they might be able to work with cherry tomatoes. There might be ways to work that out for them. So you just need to kind of work with them and see what their situation is. Uh, the actual physical uh, plant that they have, their kitchens, vary quite a lot. Some districts will have like one big central commissary where whatever they're going to do, they do there. In other cases, you may have um, a school district with multiple schools that actually have cooking kitchens in multiple locations. And in other situations, you might have something in between where you've got a smaller number of satellite kitchens that do some of the cooking and then it gets trucked out to different school locations. So again, it's just something to talk with the food service director about so you understand their circumstances because something like that will tell you something about how much cooking they can do and also, for instance, how much delivery they might need of the product. Can you bring it to one place? Do they need you to deliver it to 20 places? Does that work for you? Those are the kind of questions that you might want to ask. Their volume needs obviously vary. You know, districts, some of them are very small. The biggest in the state of Minnesota is Anoka Hennepin, and they're at 40,000-plus Students, so they're probably serving 35,000 meals in a day, sort of mind-boggling. But they're often aimed at looking at these sort of quarter cup or half cup portions. So if you've got a, a school, for instance, that has several hundred students, 
an elementary school that needs a quarter cup portion size, that actually isn't all that much product. That might be a few cases of something. So, you know, depending on your farm operation, you might find niches that serve um, whether you have a big supply or a small supply. And again, it's really about finding those niches and understanding uh, where the fit is between you and different kind of school environments. So number six, you know, a lot of the food service staff in schools actually grew up in farms. It's very interesting. A lot of them have farm backgrounds or they spent the summers on their own farm or whatnot. So a lot of them, I think, this issue about how our farmers are doing and the need to keep farmers on the land resonates for a lot of them. Not all of them, but many. But when you really talk about things like seasonality of produce, understanding varies. So part of what uh, I think you will find yourselves called on to do is to help farm or help the school staff understand a little bit more about how agriculture actually works um, and what's involved with seasonality and other sorts of dynamics. School food is, is, I think, after the farm bill, probably like one of the most complicated things I've ever tried to understand. It is unbelievably regulated. It is unbelievably <coughs> complex. The way the math works around the costs and the budgeting and the U.S. government commodity programs and stuff, it's, it's complicated. Um, don't let it deter you, but, but the food service staff are always working within that context. And, and a few have said to me as well, with the state budgetary pressure that we're under with you know, funds being taken out of the school districts and all these crazy loans that are happening with their cash flow and all this stuff, they feel a certain pressure not to be perceived as doing things that look kind of gold-plated when they've got teacher layoffs and that kind of stuff. It's just something to be aware of. Schools tend, not surprisingly, I think, to be pretty concerned about food safety they live in a very risk-averse, highly regulated environment. So just expect to be asked about your food safety practices um, and your liability and that kind of thing. And then just know that schools are um, being audited and guided and you know, are always responding to the needs of whoever their probably county health official is. So they're answering to those people who are in their kitchens and inspecting you know, whether the services are clean and whether they have the right equipment and all that kind of stuff. And we've found... Um, on occasion that there is misinformation about, for instance, whether buying directly from a farmer is legal or not. It is legal, um, but I think there's probably a chunk of work that, that we'd like to engage with the Department of Health in, in helping these county health officials or county sanitarians, as they're sometimes called, understand where farm to school fits so that they don't necess- unnecessarily create roadblocks. Um, schools have little margin for error. They're kind of the other end from, you know, Lucia Watson where you've got a menu that's changing every week. They can kind of do it on the fly. They've got a lot of variability. Schools plan way in advance. They've got to have it on time. Uh, You know, they just live in a risk-averse world. And their worst nightmare is expecting product to come, and then it doesn't show up. And they've got 5,000 kids waiting for lunch. That's like their worst nightmare. So this piece around communication and reliability is really important, and they'll appreciate that in developing a relationship with you. And then number 10... You know, it's not only about the food and the menuing in the cafeteria. It's really ultimately about kids understanding where their food is from and connecting with farmers and connecting with, you know, their own nutritional practices and their eating habits and why it's important to keep farmers on the land. Schools, I think, will become increasingly interested and receptive to having farms, farmers in the school, to getting kids out to farms, to finding other ways for kids to learn, and also to do things like school gardening, where they're actually getting their hands in the dirt and having those kind of experiential opportunities. So making that connection not only to sell the product, but to engage in the school environment, I think is welcome if you feel like that's something that you're able and interested to do.
For more on Farm to School initiatives around the country, see www.farmtoschool.org. That's farmtoschool.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. Or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.